I read uh, J.R. Vassar's account of his ministry trip to Myanmar and how his uh, team was walking through a large Buddhist temple there, and uh, they were praying as they walked. And Vassar says, I, I witnessed something that was heartbreaking to me. There was this big group of people, uh, very poor, desperate, bowing down to a large golden Buddha. He said they were stuffing what seemed to be the last of their money into the treasury box and kneeling in prayer, hoping to secure a blessing from the Buddha. He said as that was going on, on the other side of this uh, large golden idol, there was scaffolding that had been built. Uh, The Buddha had begun to deteriorate, and a group of workers was repairing the broken Buddha. And Vassar said this, Broken people were bowing down to a broken Buddha, asking the broken Buddha to fix their broken lives while someone else fixed the broken Buddha. Now, all of us are broken. Uh, We are ruined by our own sin, our own failure. We're damaged by the terrible things that other people do to us out of their own sin. We're wrecked by the things that happen to us because we live in a fallen world. There's only one who can fix our brokenness. God sent his perfect son, his unbroken son, into our world to rescue all those who know they are broken and desperately cling to Jesus alone. We're studying this ancient book named Judges, and the series is called Broken. And for the last few weeks, we've seen how God has used a very defective hero by the name of Samson to begin, God says, to deliver His people. And the story of this flawed man is included in Scripture to show us how our God works and to encourage those of us who know we are broken and in need of a Savior. So, to sum up the story so far, God promised that Samson would begin to deliver his people Israel from the oppression of the enemy Philistines. But Samson had other things on his mind instead. He's far more interested in checking out hot women and in pulling fraternity pranks and getting revenge. Far more interested in those things than he is in doing the will of God. Uh, And his nation, Israel, is not better. In fact, they are worse. They're not interested in seeking after God. They're content to live lives just the way their godless neighbors around them are living. And they don't want to be rescued from the way life is, even though it's oppressive under the Philistines. Uh, And amazingly, despite all of this, God's plan goes forward anyway. He uses a broken hero to begin to deliver a broken people. So I want to finish the Samson story this morning in Judges chapter 16. And then at the end, I want to take a moment to explain what this means for you and for me in our world today. So chapter 16, verse 1. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. Now I have lots of questions from this verse. And one, the first question I ask is, Why is he in Gaza? This was 38 miles from his home, and Gaza was the strongest city of the Philistines. This is enemy territory. This is the stronghold of enemy territory, and the enemy wanted Samson dead. After all, he humiliated them, and he had single-handedly killed more than 1,000 Philistine soldiers, and here he is in enemy territory. It doesn't say he went there to find a prostitute. 
He could have found one much closer to home than that. What I believe is going on here is that Samson is taunting the enemy. He's flagrantly flaunting his immense strength. Uh, And whatever it was that took him to Gaza, uh, if he's there just to tantalize the enemy, what what happens is he sees a woman he can't resist, a woman he can simply have by paying for her time. And this is a problem that characterized Samson. He saw something that he wanted and he took it regardless of what that meant. His lusts and his ego got him into trouble repeatedly. So now it doesn't take very long for word to get out that Samson is in this house. Uh, So uh, the Philistines are interested in capturing and getting, killing enemy number one. And so the Philistines surround the house with kind of a SWAT team. And they're prepared to ambush Samson to take him down when he comes out in the morning. Take him by surprise. So during the night, the attack force surrounds the house and they keep quiet waiting for uh, Samson to appear. Well, here's what happens, verse 3. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. So we have a massive city gate. As you can imagine, that was the main source of protection uh, with the walls in the ancient world. And, And this is no match for Samson. He rips the posts right out of the ground, carries the whole thing away up a hill needless to do that but he doesn't and and I also met this had to make a lot of noise right and I imagine that the enemy soldiers waking up seeing what's going on and pretending to stay asleep because I mean who wants to mess with this guy right so so Samson does this and this is just this is absolutely uh flagrant uh any NFL ref would throw a flag for taunting here I mean this is just taunting to the max uh so he destroys their primary protection And it's kind of like a thief going into a bank and only stealing the vault door. Uh, That's what he does here. It's a misuse of his power. God gave Samson strength to deliver his people, not so he could visit enemy prostitutes and and show off to to the enemy. In effect, Samson's saying, I can do whatever I please. God's on my side. I can go about do whatever I want with this strength I have. But the power that God promises his people is for his glory, not for our selfish uses. So next, verse 4, Sometime later he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now foreign women have a, hold a peculiar interest for Samson for some reason. Uh, uh, let me emphasize, there is absolutely nothing wrong with people of different ethnicities marrying each other. God's Word has nothing to say about that. Um, And God's Word explicitly speaks out against marrying outside of the faith. Marrying someone who is not a follower of Jesus. Or in the Old Testament, not uh, one who follows Yahweh, the one true God. Uh, But um, So there's no prohibition against different ethnicities, but different uh, faith backgrounds, absolutely. And this is the third woman that Samson has fallen for that's recorded in Scripture. The first one, if you'll remember, was all about physical attraction. Uh, He wanted to marry her before he even talked to her at all. The second one was a prostitute, paid for her time. This third woman, he says, he loves. But his love is not returned. Delilah, by, by the way, her name means feeble or weak, Uh, So this infamous strongman has a weakness for women that's embodied by Delilah. And the Philistine rulers 
see this as a great opportunity to get rid of this national menace that Samson has become. So they offered Delilah a fortune in silver to find out the secret of this guy's strength. So here is, by the way, another clear indication that Samson was not a muscle man. Uh, Because if he was ripped, then that wouldn't have been a secret. Everybody would know, well, that's why he's strong. I mean, look at his muscles. So so if he did have bulging biceps, uh, and they asked, well, what's your secret? He would just say, I lift things up and I put them down. That's the secret of my strength. But Samson was an ordinary-looking Israelite. So Delilah was offered a reward for the secret. So let's pause here for a moment and talk about sex and marriage for a little bit. Sexual relationships. A couple of weeks ago I listed the differences between lust and love, and Samson was only in lust before, and now he's in a sexual relationship with a woman that he loves. And what's wrong with that? Our society sees no problem with having sex before marriage at all. It is expected. even though uh, the Bible clearly says that for those who believe it is sin and it is idolatry, Jesus uh, talks about its destructive uh, force. Uh, so why is it wrong in that way? Well, let me point out to you three approaches, three different approaches to sex in our society, three different approaches to sexual relationships, and uh, their consumer, contract, and covenant. Only one of these is the right way. So let me talk about each of them briefly. Approaching sex as a consumer means finding someone you want to have sex with who's willing to have sex with you, and, uh, uh, and then you both get what you want. That's a consumer. And when you're in a consumer relationship, that relationship lasts only as long as the customer gets what they want. The other person is sort of like a, a, a vending machine. As long as the product you want is delivered, you're a a loyal customer. But when there's a nicer looking machine or one that costs less to maintain or has better products for sale, then you're out of there. So whether it's a Tinder date or a long-time affair, sex as a consumer is selfishly focused on what I get, not on a real relationship. I just read uh, just a couple of days ago a woman who got divorced after a year because her husband did not give her what she wanted. That's a consumer relationship. Um, Now, um, approaching sex as a contract can happen in several ways. Uh, One type is the one that Samson had with the prostitute. I'll pay you for a night together, where she says, I'll give you sex, you show me the money. Uh, With a contract, if either side does not keep the bargain, then the contract is broken. You can even enter into marriage like it was a contract. That's not the way God designed it, Uh, But that's the way most people view it today. And the contract is broken because, well, she lost her hair, or he got fat, or we can't have children, or we've grown apart, or I've met my soulmate, or she nags me, or he doesn't care about my feelings, or I just don't feel anything for her anymore. And so when you approach marriage like a contract, then whenever the other person doesn't hold up their end of the deal, you feel justified in breaking that deal. And by the way, two unmarried people living together is also a contract. And the contract is, I'm auditioning you to see if you're good enough to commit to. Uh, Or I want to have sex with you, uh, but I don't want to get in too deep in case I meet somebody better. Uh, So the the sexual relationship you have with the person you're not married to is like marketing. That's what I would call it. It's marketing. Uh, You can't risk falling below expectations or you'll be in breach of contract and terminated for that. And that's why couples who live together before marriage have a higher divorce rate than couples who do not. 
uh, premarital sex is completely different than married sex. Uh, rather than an expression of love and intimacy, it is a consumer activity uh, and a contractual arrangement. Now, the Bible presents a covenant approach to sex and marriage. Uh, that, that's the, the correct view, the biblical view. A covenant says that our relationship is more important than my needs. So I'm going to love you. I'm going to meet your needs no matter what. And so then uh, sex becomes an expression of that. Uh, it's like a mutual renewal of vows, not an addition, uh, an audition, not marketing. Uh, a covenant survives the change of feelings, the change of, 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 of seasons of life and of disappointed expectations. When two people enter into a covenant, it's an unbreakable bond. And the relational security and satisfaction that comes from a covenant can't be matched in any other way. That's how God designed it. God designed sex to occur inside a covenant relationship. I've never watched an episode of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. And if I had, I would be honest and tell you, but I, I just haven't. But, but however, I am familiar with those shows. I've read newspaper articles and things that, that talk about them. Newspaper, I, don't have, I haven't bought a newspaper in like 20 years. Um, online articles and so forth. Um, so so th those shows make news. Earlier this year, uh, the Bachelorette Hannah, who claims to be a Christian, was choosing between several men. And one of those men, Luke, also claims to follow Jesus. And uh, apparently he said to Hannah, let's talk about sex and how the marriage bed should be kept pure, which is actually a quote from Scripture. And, and, he, and he said, if you have sex with one or more of these other guys, then I'd want to go home. So he's honestly telling her, if you're going to have a sexual relationship with these other guys, then, then this is not for me. I'm out. Well, Social media just blasted Luke for attacking Hannah uh, with, with his weird religious views, puritanical views. And Hannah herself says she was offended, and she told Luke that she did have sex with other contestants and that, quote, Jesus still loves me, unquote. Now, of course, God's love is unshakable. Uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even our sin and failure. Uh, but a failure to recognize sin and a failure to confess that sin is not the mark of a believer. Uh, a, a believer is convicted of sin, and, and the Holy Spirit convicts that and, and confesses and receives the forgiveness of God. Uh, so, um, now, if, if you just consider these three approaches to sex, right away you're going to see the problem. Here's the problem. If you're in a relationship where only one of you is in covenant, it's going to be very painful. And some of you know that pain. You've experienced that pain. If your partner is a consumer, you're going to be exploited. If your partner thinks it's a contract, then you're ultimately going to get rejected or live in fear of that rejection. Now, that was Samson and Delilah. He loved her, but she was in a consumer mentality. And there was a higher bidder. And so verse 6 uh, Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. She doesn't even try to hide her objective here. I want to control you. I, I want to I have you under my... And, and, and Samson, he responds like in a joking manner. He's, he's such a frat boy here. He just, he just says, okay, well, what you need is you need some animal intestines and, and that aren't yet dry, and if you wrap me up with those, then I'll be helpless. 
So she waits till he falls asleep. She does that. He breaks them easily. She says, you lied to me. Tell me the truth. And he says, okay, you, you just need some new rope. You wrap me up with some new rope. And, and it's, it. so she does that. Samson snaps those like it's a thread. Then she accuses him of, of making her look like a fool. So he tells her a third lie. This is a great relationship. So he tells her a third lie. And he says, immobilize me by, you know, you take the braids of my hair and, and attach them to a loom. And so while he sleeps, she takes the braids of his hair, attaches them to a loom. Samson wakes up, uh, pulls the loom to pieces. Uh, you'd think he'd start to wonder, maybe something's going on here. You'd think. But he doesn't. Why doesn't he? Because he is blinded by passion and ego. That, that's his, he, he's all about, well, he's so confident in his powers. He's so... Uh, driven by hormones, that, that uh, this doesn't face him. So, but she's not going to give up, verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made me fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. This is a great example of a relationship that's about exploiting rather than serving. They, they use the words, I love you, but what they mean is, I'm attracted to you. Uh, you make me feel good. You give me what I want. Um, that's not love. Here's the difference, by the way, just to point out some things. The difference between a self-centered or a self-giving relationship. Self-centered is focused on satisfaction. Self-giving is focused on satisfying the other. Uh, one keeps secrets. The other speaks truth and love. One is a cost-benefit analysis. In other words, am I getting out of this as much as I'm putting into it? Because if not, I'm out of here. The other is to sacrifice for the good of the other person. The self-centered one demands and frustrates the partner. Self-giving supports and trusts the partner. Uh, and it's easy to see what kind of relationship Delilah is in. So, verse 17, he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. So exasperated, Samson tells everything, but he doesn't get it either. You, you need to appreciate what's happening here. It is not his hair that holds the power. He thinks it is, but it's not. Uh, uncut hair was simply the sign of his pledge to God. It was an outward uh, conformity, and he thought that's all God wanted. So you know, as long as I keep my hair long, then I'm going to be strong. And that's the danger all Christians can fall into. And I'm not talking about hair length. I'm saying if I just keep up appearances... If I just keep this outward thing going, then God will bless me. If I do this outward thing, if I get baptized, if I take communion, if I serve, if I go to church, whatever, then I'll be okay. But you appreciate, God always wants the heart. He always wants the heart. That's the primary thing. So uh, Samson has that mistake, and then, but he goes to sleep uh, after telling her the secret, and she signals, Delilah does, to the Philistines, hey, bring me the money. And then Samson's seven braids are snipped off in his sleep, and the Lord removed his strength. Uh, verse 20, then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. So every other time he faced a challenge in life, the Spirit of the Lord rushed in on Samson, even though he wasn't worthy, and Samson did amazing things. And so he expected that again. He's not even conscious that the power is gone. He saw his Natural, his strength as a, as a natural ability rather than the gift of God, rather than something that God imbued upon him. And so here's what happened, verse 21. 
Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. So the reason they gouge out his eyes is to humiliate him further, to control him. Uh, Throughout his life, when Samson saw what he wanted, he took it. He acted on visual stimulation, and now he's blinded. And, And you think you're chained to your job? Samson was put to hard labor. He was like a work animal. He's exposed to ridicule and insults of everyone who passes by. And even though his hair is simply a symbol of dedication to God, he wasn't really dedicated to God. The hair was a symbol of that. Uh, It's not the secret of his strength. The Lord did remove the strength. Now, I don't believe that those whom God has truly saved can ever be lost. Anyone who comes to Christ as the only way to God receives eternal life, and nothing, no one, not any power can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Jesus' death on the cross as the atoning sacrifice for sin, His resurrection from the dead, all who believe receive salvation and will be never cast out, Jesus said. But God's people can lose their spiritual power. It happens to churches. It happens to individual Christians who remove themselves from the place of God's blessing and go into free fall. And if you're content to live a subpar Christianity, uh, you, you may not even realize you're missing the power of the Holy Spirit. You're just going through the motions. You're moving the grinding wheel. Verse 23 and 25. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. While they're in high spirits, verse 25, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. You notice how Samson's personal failure allows the enemy to make fun of the one true God. That's going on in our world today, too. A lot of people calling themselves Christians then are excuse to for others to make fun of God. And the Philistines think God has their God is one, and they demand that Samson amuse them. He has to be led out by the hand. That had to amuse them greatly. Here's this physical warrior that's so uh, so powerful, and now somebody has to lead him around, show him where to go. The man that God said would begin to deliver his people from oppression. Now he's just a party clown, a circus act to give the enemy a laugh. But he asks to be led to the pillars that support the temple. I need something to lean against, he said. Now the temple is packed with dignitaries and socialites, and all the big names are sitting under the roof, while another 3,000 people crowd on top of that, straining to see this legendary strongman, this one who defeated entire armies single-handedly, now needs to be led by the hand. Verse 28, Then Samson called to the Lord, O Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. So here, I think, is the moment of Samson's greatest spiritual strength. He calls out to God and actually uses all three major names of God. He uses Yahweh, Adonai, Elohim, all here in this prayer. I think Samson's finally beginning to figure it out. Totally at the end of his resources, he understands it's God who does all of this. It took utter failure and blindness for Samson to realize he wasn't a strong man. He's only a weak man in whom God demonstrated mighty power. So he calls on God and for the final time is infused. Verse 30 He said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. So finally, 
Samson made the glory of God most important, even more important than his own life. And by the way, his death points to the death of Jesus. There are a lot of similarities. Just let me think through them a little bit. Both of them were betrayed by four pieces of silver. Both of them were rejected by their own people. Both were humiliated and mocked in their final hours. Both prayed in their final moments. Both died willingly. Both achieved great victory over God's enemies through death. However, unlike Samson, Jesus was innocent. And Jesus' death as the perfect Son of God was on behalf of all sinners who will humble themselves and put their trust in Him. Both were buried, but Jesus rose the third day declaring victory over sin and death through the cross. So that's the story. What's it mean for us? You actually probably find it difficult to identify with Samson for a couple of reasons. One is you don't have his great strength. And the other is you think, well, I don't have his great weaknesses either. So you might dismiss his relevance to your life because he's so weak and too strong. But I want to point out to you why Samson is so much like us. If you read the New Testament warning about the dangers of the world, of worldliness, then you'll see that the things Samson struggled with are the same things you and I struggle with. Here it is. Here's the example. Uh, 1 John 2.16. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So there are three categories of worldliness right there. You want to know what worldliness is? It's one of those three things or all of them together. First, the cravings of sinful man. What's that? That's hungering for what God says you shouldn't have. That's when that thing you want so much that if you don't get it or if you lose it, then life has no meaning for you. It's selfish desire for an achievement, for possessions, for relationships. And I think I've fallen into that and so have you. Uh, the next is lust of the eyes. That's desiring what you see. That's to look at a person, to look at a thing and visually devour it, want it. It might be a shiny new truck. It might be a new outfit. It might be the body of someone who's not your spouse. It might be the newest technology, a piece of jewelry, a bigger house, somebody else's lifestyle you see on Instagram. But you see it and you have to have it no matter what. Samson couldn't stop going after what he saw until his eyes were gouged out. That's worldliness. Next is boasting about what he has and does. That's pride over your stuff. Pride over your success. It's bragging about what you have and who you know and what you've experienced. You want others to be impressed with you. So you drop names. You show off. Samson did that. Samson wrote a riddle. He wrote a poem. All to brag about his success, his victories. But see, cravings, desires, boasts get in the way of real life. When you keep grabbing for what you see, when you keep reaching for what you shouldn't have, uh, you come up empty. You lack satisfaction. The Bible says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And Samson didn't realize that until the end. Um, so we share his weaknesses. What about his strength? Is he so freakishly powerful that you can't identify with him? Well, here's what makes him like us. It's not Samson who's amazing. It's God. It's God. Without God, he's ordinary. Samson lived 40 years without figuring that out. And only at the last moment did he realize his strength was God's. That's what Jesus teaches in 1 John, or John 15, 5 rather. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the message of Christ to us. Without him, we can do nothing. With God, everything is possible. 
And like Samson, some of us have to hit rock bottom before we can understand that. And when we learn that he is the source, then our weakness becomes his strength. When I graduated from high school, my uh, parents gave me a wristwatch. And there was no joke attached like, uh, guess what time it is? Time for you to get out. No, there was no joke like that. Uh, And it was an expensive watch, especially compared to the one that I was wearing. It was $10. But not long after that, I was probably, you know, playing sports or something that I shouldn't have been doing while wearing this watch, and, and the band broke, and it flew off my arm and, and smashed face down on the cement walkway. Well, pieces went everywhere. And I'm scrambling around trying to pick this up, and, and I'm, I'm horrified. The crystal was shattered. Uh, one of the hands was gone. Uh, others were bent. Uh, the pin that held the band together was missing. So I tried to put all the pieces back together a little bit, and that only made things worse. And the watch didn't even tick anymore. And I hated to tell my dad. In fact, I considered a whole bunch of ways to, to not tell him. To lie, you know, It was stolen. I, well, something. But eventually I realized I, I have to tell him. And I went to him and I said, Dad, I'm sorry. I, I broke my watch. And I handed him all the pieces. And he didn't yell. He boxed up those pieces and mailed it to the company, to the manufacturer. And a few weeks later... It came back working beautifully, and I still have it all these years later. On the basis of the Samson story, I urge you to give God the pieces. Give God the pieces. All of us are broken. Turn your brokenness to Him. Confess your weaknesses. Ask for his strength. God will forgive, restore, and renew because of Jesus. If you've never put your trust in Christ, then your life is apart from God. And you must turn your life to him and give yourself to Jesus. If you are in Christ and you've made mistakes, you've sinned, you've failed, you've come up short, you've not lived up to your identity in Christ, confess that to him. Give him those pieces now. You might be at a place where you feel hopeless or at the end, but maybe it's about the time now God wants to bring about something greater in your life. And when I got that watch back, it was as good as new except for one thing. There was a dent in the metal where it hit the concrete the hardest. And that dent is still there today. There will be consequences for past failures in our lives. But by God's grace, He uses broken things. Give him the pieces. I want to invite you to stand with me right now as we bring this service to a close. And, and I want to ask you to consider how you might give the pieces to God right now. If you feel comfortable, just close your eyes and, and, and envision any broken areas of your life. The, the pieces, that they might be rebellion or fear or lust, or anger, or failure, or betrayal, or bitterness, or longing, or disappointment, or pain. Whatever those are, hand them to God. And tell Him something like this in the quietness of your own heart. Say, God, You are my strength. You are my deliverer. Forgive my sin. Heal my brokenness. Fill me with power. Make me whole again. I ask this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen.